Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson on our Sunday evening. We've just watched Liège, Gaston Liège, men and women's men's recap first. If you're watching on YouTube, the women's recap is a separate vid. Liège parcours for the men is 260 kilometers long from Liège to Baston and then back to Liège in a clockwise fashion. The main climbs that you should really bear in mind are Côte de la Redoute with about 35 k's to go, 2 k's, 9%, and then Côte de la Roche or Faucon, 1.3 k's, 10.5%, short descent, then Boncel, 1,200 meters, 6.5%, they're about 13 to 10 k's to go, then 10k descent, flat sprint finish, headwind on those climbs, headwind in the sprint finish. Uh, we knew that for the men's race because the women's race preceded it. The rider said very strong headwind in the finish. But before we get to that action, I want to mention our show partner, LeCole, L-E-C-O-L dot C-C. They are our show partner for the entire year. We're going to hopefully get over to Europe and well, I'm going to get over to Europe. I believe Benji, in theory, lives there already. I'm going to get over there, and maybe we can do it to our Tour de France shows in person. That is with Lacole's support. If you want to check them out, they're in the description below. Or you can check out their kit, their performance cycling apparel in uh, on their Instagram. It's pretty much just a digital collection of it all. I just got some new kit, which has been good in the autumn here. But anyway, men's liège. God, it was a snooze fest. <laughs> like, this is the climbing version of MSR. I said that in a preview. <laughs> Nothing happened in the first 150, no, 230 Ks. Of note, I guess 60 Ks to go. Greg Van Avermaet attacked, got brought back. I think it was Tosh van der Sander, not even Gilbert, who was attacking for Lotto. Three riders went clear. There's a break, obviously, a suicide break with the Pro Conti teams and Carp the Road at like three minutes. This is before Redoute, and then Mark Donovan on DSM, Han van Hocker and Lotto Sudal, and Padun for Bahrain. (laughs) (laughs) Padun for Bahrain were in a group, and they got allowed to have, oh, 90 seconds, and then Ineos took their foot off the gas, went up to four minutes again, and pretty much the break just started to drop itself from fatigue. We got to the Cote de la Redoute. All the favourites are there. Pagancis had a puncture, but got back, and... Something did actually happen on Redoute, Benji. The race started to open up there with 36 Ks to go. Yes, it was a team that we, well, a few days ago would have said would ride all out for Pitcock, but Pitcock went ahead and said nope to LVL because of uh, the crash he had at Flesh. So they were here without him. And the team of Ineos just moved forward. They had the options of the likes of an Adam Yates, for example, a Carapaz, those kind of riders. But with those riders, you need to try and open up the race early because you don't have that punchy effect to try and follow a, a punch by Philippe, for example. So that's what they did here. They saw that a lot of dude and move forward with the entire team. And one of the MVPs for that team today was definitely Tao Gegenhard. He's uh, getting better in form for the Giro, it seems, because, uh, yeah, 
that was good for the tour. My bad. Is it Giro? Tour? Tour, right? He's doing the tour. He's doing the yes. tour. Uh, on Ladadut? Okay. On Ladadut, they came forward. They smashed it from the bottom. And no Pidcock. That's true. And at the bottom, they, they just hammered it in the sense that the people that were in their wheel, they were unable to attack because when Sevenand was getting ready for an attack on Ladadut, you saw him on the right of the road just pinching his head out and was like, okay, I'm going to move up. But yeah, Gegenhardt kept on pedaling hard and he um, he put up a massive, massive pace because at the back of the peloton, we saw everybody just having trouble to follow. And at a certain point, we saw a bit of a gap open up, I think in 23rd, 22nd position somewhere where we... Uh, yeah, basically saw a group getting away. And that included the four Ineos members at the front of the race, including the likes of Carapaz, Adam Yates, Hart as well. And I think Dunbar did a lot of work for the team there as well. But that gap actually split up a few favorites that were left behind at that point. And a few of those were Alaphilippe, who only yeah. had Von Seven on in the front group. And I think Dave and Ernst as well, but I'm not totally sure about that. We saw Roglic having trouble for a second to try and follow the first group, but he bridged up and actually closed it down just before the top of Laredud. And I think the other favorite that was not in the front group there was Bovade. Uh, so two of the people that we certainly thought would be in the final of this race were not really there at this point. And this uh, Ineos coup on the race was definitely uh, looking like a, a chance for them to, to try and put the race upside down and perhaps put themselves into a position where nobody really expected them to be with a numerical advantage on everybody else with a good uh, 35k to go. So what a move there. Did you think that they were going to set it up that they would keep on pacing until like uh, Forge or Russia for yeah, I did. do something? I did. I think they, I don't know what stopped their action. Maybe because they realized, oh, no, we've got Roglic Valverde in this group and Pagacha. Pagacha was bang on. Valverde was Kwiatkowski's yeah. wheel. What's the point in bringing three quarters of the sprinters or reduced bunch sprinters we're concerned about. So it all came back together. And then they got to this little climb before Cote de la Roche or Faucon called the Fouge climb, Fouge climb rather. And Ineos went again with Gagan Hart. And I think not having Pidcock here today, it obviously changed their strategy massively. They wanted to use their depth in numbers. They did what I thought Bahrain would have tried to do with Poles, Haig, Padun, Dylan Turns, who were kind of anonymous today. And they went again with Gagan Hart and got an even better split this time, dropping Roglic. And Alaphilippe was now in this group, still with Valverde in the group. And then, kind of like what they did with Amstel, they attacked with Carapaz Benji. And it immediately went out to 20 seconds. I think they had Quiero and uh, who else had in that group? Just about him and Carapaz. They attacked. And did you think, I don't know, did you think that was the best option? Did you think they should have tried to work together? Do you think, again, there were too many quick guys in that group, so that was the best option at that time, and then hope that Quiero could sit in the wheels? And, you know, I think they should have tried to nurse Kwiatkowski a bit more before onto Cote de la Roche or Faucon, personally. Honestly, I, I don't think that their strategy of having Kriatkovsky as main leader here would have been the best idea because so far okay. in this Ardennes season so far, I felt like Karapaz was the better rider and ended up, I think, sixth or seventh in, in Flesh Wallon as well. So he's doing extremely well so far. And I think that he should have been the rider they were hammering it for here. And with that attack, they reduced the advantage they had with the numerical advantage on the others to not having that advantage. 
And that group was quite simply getting called back by the people behind. And the problem there is that, um, well, you're basically choosing to have carapaz at the front in a race where everybody who scouted the weather for the race knows that a headwind is coming up off to reach climb to the finish line and in the last portion to the finish line as well. So it's not going to be a great idea to attack with a solo rider at this point. Perhaps it's an in-race decision at the same moment, but even if you're with the fast people that you are with, you're getting rid of the likes of an Philippe if you keep on pacing and if you keep that strongly together. And I'm afraid that, um, yeah, I'm afraid that that wasn't a, an ideal strategy in my eyes. Well, who was chasing I think uh, it was Movistar because I'm still 99% yeah. sure Valverde was not in that group, actually. I feel like he was in that group because I was watching him all day because he was my pick with my heart. <laughs> Maybe he wasn't. Everyone can comment down below. <laughs> I'm just a relentless Valverde stan, obviously. But it doesn't really matter whether he was in that group at that point or not. <laughs> and I can say that because I was probably wrong, apparently. Uh, but Carapaz 20 seconds ahead, but... Everyone got their act together behind before the final climb. They chased him down. The final climb comes about 14 Ks to go, as I said, about 1.3 Ks, 10.5%. Movistar chasing as well as, I think, UAE. Bagatches there. And they get, I think they do catch him before the final climb. And it's UAE. They all, oh, by the way, Luke Fliegen at some point has been caught. He got as much camera time today as when Ineos, more than when Ineos were pacing with like the whole team shredding the race, even though we'd been watching for two hours when nothing happened. Cote de la Rochefoucauld, UAE setting pace. Formolo, I think, mm, I'm not sure if he or she was just in the wheels or set pace. He was up there. And then they created a bit of a split. Roglic was already getting distanced. He'd already had to do some work beforehand. And it was Mike Woods, very consistent in Liège. He attacked on Cote de la Rochefoucauld and he was followed by Pagacha. Alaphilippe, Valverde, who was in this group, and David Godou. So the five riders go clear. No Roglic, no Schachmann, no one from Bahrain, and no Fulsang, even though Aaron Baru had been riding for Fulsang earlier, which Benji and I vehemently disagree with. Did you think at that point, Benji, with five different teams, a lot of the big contenders represented, even with the headwind, it was a done deal? I think that it was a done deal. I think that yeah, agree. the riders that I expected to be in a chasing group or you know, in an attacking group, in a lead group from that point onwards, were kind of the riders that were in there. I think that we all relatively expected Silvetti to be able to follow the likes of Pogacar on this climb. I expect Pogacar to be able to follow a Woods on this climb. Who did I expect to be in here? Well, Roglic. And he just wasn't really there. The entire day, he was a bit looking like in the distance, chasing everybody. and. I believe that, yeah, that's not ideal. And I think that I expected more from him today. After last year's victory, I, I kind of just expected more, but that was not the case. But yeah, that group was certainly uh, a group that was moving towards a potential victory here. I didn't see the others coming back. And we saw a helicopter view at a certain point that confirmed that for us, that the others were significantly behind as well. So um, we went ahead to descend where Fulsang had his... Uh, Tire slip. Can you remind us of the sound that that made back in the day? Was that it? I can't remember. But it was. It wasn't wet today, so there were no tire slips. Mike Woods, though, they got to get him off the front on the descent. He's letting the group behind come back 
quickly, which is mainly Roglic and Schachmann pacing behind a large group, but dysfunctional. Kwiatkowski trying to attack here, full sang attacking. They work together for a little bit, pulling turns, and then just disintegrate the cohesion. So group one, going ahead, they get into the last 5Ks. They've got 30 seconds, which isn't that long. We see Mohoric on the descent behind, reminding you we've gotten the group. Valverde barely pulling, refusing to pull after Rochefoucauld for ages, then eventually pulling. Pogaccio pulling like an absolute truck, as well as Mike Woods. Alaphilippe doing a good job, and Gudu as well here. And we were thinking, Menji, what should Gudu do? I mean, what's the go-to for David Gudu? And, I mean, he's not going to win the sprint, we think, but there's no real uphill to attack. It's descent. I think Mike Woods, after they got off the descent, tried something under an underpass. They then helpfully cut back to G2, but he was shut down by Alaphilippe Pronto in the last three Ks. And we got into the final, I think the last kilometre, one K to go, and they all start track standing Alaphilippe takes the last corner super wide. He goes to the back of the group, and then Pagacha's like, no, I'm going to go to the back of the group. Pagacha literally, I, I thought he'd had a mechanical or something. He just like <laughs> he was going to pull off. They went down to 20Ks an hour. Eventually, Valverde starts to lead out this group of five with, I think, here she chasing behind with Teish Benut at 500 meters to go. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? And Valverde leading him out. Woods on his wheel, Godu third. Alaphilippe fourth wheel, Pagacha fifth wheel, headwind in this sprint will affect it a lot. Valverde kicks at 275 into the headwind, nearly gaps Woods, but Woods gets back into the wheel. Godu kind of nowhere, can't kick around anyone. Alaphilippe goes to the right-hand side. Valverde was on the left-hand barrier. Alaphilippe right-hand side, going quick, goes really fast past Woods and Valverde passes them easily, but Pagacha, perfect positioning, right on his wheel, gets the slipstream for the longest out of anyone in the group of five. We know he's quick, comes around, Alaphilippe doesn't chop him and beats him pretty comfortably in the reduced bun sprint to win Liège, Bastion Liège, the first winner of a monument after winning the tour of the previous year since Bernard Eno in, I don't know, 79. I just stole that fact straight off the Flamme Rouge on Twitter. Uh, I'll claim it. What did you think of that sprint, Benji? Valverde showing a lot of inexperience, not even being ironic. Yeah, Valverde was sitting at the back of the group almost the entire descent and pushed twice at the front, relaying. And at that point, I was like, yeah, he's doing what he usually does, just sits at the back and waits until the sprint arrives and does try and, and does tries to uh, swamp people. But that was not the case because in the last 1K, he decided to take the front and do the lead out for everybody. So... Really no clue what he was thinking. Definitely with the headwinds, uh, Fulverde should know better. It's harsh to say, but I think he should know better. I it think in the bad. last 700 meters, he tried to get to the back, but Woods was like, nope, nope, not going to happen anymore. You ain't getting behind us. And everybody just started breaking behind him to keep himself at the front, to keep Fulverde at the front. But I think when it comes to the sprint, we can um, highlight a few things. We hadn't seen Godou sprinting against others that much. I think Romandy, he won a group sprint once, if I recall correctly, a few years ago. And I knew he had a bit of a punch. I expected him to come in the top four of the sprint. I just didn't know where. And now we have a bit of a reference to see what he can do against the others. So that's what I love about this, because now we know that Pogacar and Alaphilippe are somewhat on the same area. We know that Valverde's sprint is not looking as great as the past for certain. We knew that already. I said it in the preview. <laughs> 
<laughs> you didn't, right? <laughs> Sorry. No, I said his sure sprint was good at Amstel. And I think his sprint is still as good as Pogaccia. And the difference today was positioning, not... I mean, if Pogaccia was put on the front and led them out with 275 in the sprint, I don't think he's winning either. So I think it was more positioning than anything with Valverde. But no, I agree. His sprint is clearly not like 2014 Valverde sprint. Like, I don't know. I think people were going at Benji for his comment about that. Like, I said his sprint was better in Amstel than 2020 where he was terrible. But Benji is correct. Valverde's sprint is not like peak. Dude. To the benefit of the people that were going at me for things, I think they they were right when it comes to like not knowing that LBL was won four times by Valverde. But if I can <laughs> oh, give yeah. a, a solid ex- excuse for that, it's the fact <laughs> that I don't really care about the ass finish. We'll talk about that uh, a bit yeah. later on here. But let me do the results. I, okay. Let me do the results. <laughs> I'll stop attacking the listeners, attacking you, and then you defending <laughs> the listeners, attacking you, to see which one of us is the nice one. But yeah. You should definitely go with Benji because Balabalin winning Liège four times. I watch it every night before I go to sleep. The results. Pagatcha first, Alaphilippe second, Gaudu third, French second and third, but no winner. Balverde fourth, Woods fifth, Hirschi sixth after attacking <laughs> behind with Benoit and Mollema, Schachman, ninth, Mohoric, tenth back-to-back. Is that back-to-back top tens in Liège? Ineos, Benji. Let's talk about that. Before we get to the old finish, if Ineos were named Movistar and wore blue jerseys, seriously, wouldn't they be getting absolutely roasted by everybody for what happened today? Mm, or is it different because that, Carapaz still went up the road and had a chance? Yeah, I think that wasn't the smartest idea, but I think that people also shouldn't criticize Ineos here too much because I think it's the only way they could potentially have won this race is by trying something extreme like that. I don't believe that Carapaz was going to win the sprint. We've seen him do a decent sprint in Polonia, I think, a few years ago. But um, I still wouldn't expect it here. And yeah, when it comes to that team, they had strength in numbers and strength across the board, but not one extreme leader like a Pitcock who would end up being able to sprint like that. And that's just not the case here. And I think that that is their excuse here. I think when it comes to strategies all over, I want to highlight something else. How dare Astana use Aramburu to close down no, gaps and attack with 70k Agreed. to go. I hate it. I hate it. Ah, how they massacred my No, it so was sad. so fucking stupid. Okay, so this finish, <laughs> headwind sprint, headwind on the climbs. We had after the race, the women's race, which I know we reversed it, but preceded the men's race. Van Vleuten in the finish with interview was like the headwind on the final climb the final was really strong and Jakob Full saying I'm not sure if anyone's been watching uh but where the fuck is he going to put 15 seconds into Begacha, Alaphilippe and Woods on these climbs in 2021 like what are they doing having Aaron Bruce spend his bickies with 60ks to go when he can actually win a reduced bunch sprint or at least podium, say probably he's not going to outclimb Matthews. Maybe he could have attacked on the final descent or something. I don't know. They should have been wanting, like we said in the preview, a slow race. And, yeah, I didn't get it. Uh, Aaron Baru had a better chance of winning Liege-Bastogne-Liege today than Jakob Fulsang, who came 12th, you know, in that G2, middling in G2 
and not winning the reduced bunch sprint there either. So made no sense. Maybe Benji and I are overrating Aaron Baru, but I don't know. It's like, no, here's the thing. Bike Exchange has Chavez and Matthews. Matthews for, Matthews for the sprint, Chavez for climbing, maybe if it's really quick climbs at the end. They don't use Matthews to close moves with 60Ks to go. So sorry, did I cut you off, Benji. I was so enraged. No, I don't actually remember what I said. So I think that's relatively what you are. Uh, You're mad about What Aaron you needed Brewer. to say. Yeah, I'm just sad <laughs> about Adam Budowitz. They massacred yeah. my boy. But all in all, I think that it was a good race. And I want to bring up the point that I also brought up on Twitter before and after the race. Let's talk about the finishes. In the past, up to three years ago, we had the Côte d'Or as the finishing point of Liège-Bresson-Liège, which had a bit of a curve in the last 200 meters and then a sprint to the line. Now, I hate that finish. They waited so long a lot of the times, and I don't know why, but I just didn't like that climb. I don't know why. Now... The difference is much different because now we come to Rochefoucauld. We know that a smaller group will form out of that. We've seen it two years in a row now. And my heart beats from that entire point at 120. Uh, I'm literally almost dying in the development. It's not that high, but still, uh, it's crazy how it makes me so nervous in the last 10 kilometers that descent. Will somebody try to attack before the sprint? Stuff like that. And just that aspect to it is so much more fun than being on all and then seeing, oh, there, someone's punching away. Okay, that's uh, that's it. I barely cared about Liège-Bosson-Liège for a lot of years until they changed the finish. And then I saw, oh, my God, this is good. And last year was an amazing like race it. as a consequence, the last portion at least. Today, I think the last... 30 kilometers were a very good race, in my opinion. I think since Laredoud, it was it was really fun to watch. And it would have been so much different if they had another hill in the last kilometer because that would close down the race way more. And there were people that are like, oh, I'm saving my energy for the all finish. Yeah, I, I like it way more like this, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like World Poles, respect is winning 2016. But if I'm going back to make a throwback, analysis video that won't be the most exciting sort of race i'd ever go and pick uh you know poles albacini really costa sanchez sort of guys mm-hmm. in a kick up to all oh, no thanks i really like this where you got the pressure of the group behind it's kind of like we saw an amstel gold race the last couple of years in the men and women's it's like msr like i said are they going to be caught etc if they play too much maybe they nearly did today another thing we want to talk about benji i just saw this come across on twitter richard carapaz has been disqualified from liege baston liege now it's of no moment because he was caught and didn't get a good result anyway but with 19 kilometers to go and i'm showing you the image on the youtube video now he entered what looked like a super tack super duck position to me and I thought it was a super tuck. His hands were on his bars, not um, – yeah, his hands were on his bars, and his butt was kind of off his saddle, and you couldn't see from the angle too well whether he was touching the top tube or not. Uh, but, yeah, what do you think about this disqualification, Benji? Did you see it from a different angle where you could see him above the top tube? 
for me, it looks like it's touching him, but I can't tell it. Like, I'm pretty sure he's above the top tube. Like, he, he's way too high to be on the top tube here uh, on the picture that I'm looking at, at least. Um, and from what I can tell, the only thing I can say is that technically, it looks like he's touching the saddle. It looks like he's in the drops. It looks like he's not touching the top tube. It's obviously looking for the uh, borders and the edges of the uh, of the uh, UCI rules here, but on paper, I'd say this is completely allowed by the by the current rule. Um, and yeah, I'd say that it's not really disqualifiable, even though it's obviously looking for the uh, plot holes in the rule, which is something that will happen if you've got huge plot holes in the rules, as we've said multiple times. But oh, yeah. next to that, it also just doesn't lucky. look like a very comfortable position, to be honest. I know. Is it even aero? Let <laughs> me try and find the, the rule bit, Benji. So this is the new rule that came in on the 1st of April, position on the bicycle. Riders must observe the standard position as defined by, oh, God, I'm going to have to go to the other article. Okay. As defined by Article 1.3.08, which I'll put up on the screen that I'm not going to look at right now, but it's not really relevant. It just means like sitting in a standard position. Sit, but this is the more important Better. More important point, sitting on the bicycle's top tube is prohibited. Furthermore, using forearms as a point of support is prohibited. But he's not doing the forearms thing. So it's sitting on the bicycle's top tube. And maybe they got images, Benji, that he was sitting on the top tube. I mean, if he's in that position for a fair amount of time, maybe, I mean, I don't want to make a crass joke, but if he's not on the top tube, then... I don't know what he's using as a means of support. Looks really uncomfortable if he's not touching the top tube. Uh, it looks like his thighs might be squeezing them. So do you think his thighs are squeezing the top tube, Benji, and that's sort of using it as a means of support? Do you think the UCI have even thought into it that deeply or they're just like, nah, it kind of looks like a super tuck fan? Yeah, I think that... What's curious about all of this is that we have these rules vaguely written in the in the rulebook, and then the writers have received a uh, PowerPoint presentation that included yeah. uh, a few pictures of what you can do and what you can't do. And that's another example, like I think the writer that was disqualified for using his forearms for support but had his pinky on, on, his, on yeah. his brakes. Yeah, Alexander, yeah. Uh, the British guy on Alperson, right? Richardson, I think, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah Alexander um, Richardson. That was a disqualification, and in that PowerPoint presentation, it indeed was labeled as you can't do this. But the thing is, there's a problem to this, because those images are not in the rules. And how is that usable if they're not that. in the rules? Unless there's another rules book that we don't know about. <laughs> yeah, there? and it's not like, putting the lawyer hat on, it's not like the, so in, you can, well, in, I don't know about, well, you all do in civil law land, which makes no sense to me. But in Australia, you can have law as enacted by parliament and then regulations underneath, which are subordinate to the actual parliamentary legislation, but do have actual binding force. They can be like created uh, more flexibly by non like like governing bodies or departments etc you know so you have a rule you can't drive down the street uh in a particular fashion and then the regulations which 
the legislation will refer to, which is a key point Benji's making, the actual rules in his sense should refer to the diagrams in regulation XYZ show diagram- diagrammatically the permitted and not permitted positions and flesh it out further and they can be changed from time to time. So we don't have that. We just have a PowerPoint presentation that comes to light after the fact, not really shared with the media, not that anyone would share anything with us anyway. But that's the Carapaz disqualification. Didn't really change the outcome of Liège. Just another data point in that riders trying to be sneaky will get relegated or disqualified. And to be honest, I'm not surprised. I thought they were going to disqualify him. Just like the Richardson thing, I feel like if you're deliberately pushing the grey areas and it looks kind of unsafe, you're going to get done. Seems to yeah, be the flavour of the month. I think, I think there is a difference here that if the Richardson thing was actually like, in the rule itself, it says that you can't use your form of support in the Richardson thing. So that is literally on paper. So that... Yeah, and he was using them as support. Yeah. So that's for me the difference between True. the two cases personally. But yeah, I'm Maybe not Benji. a lawyer. You are. Is there a uh, super tuck diagram somewhere? Does anyone want to send a super tuck diagram? <laughs> Poor old Carapaz. Yeah. But um, yeah, I thought he was going to get done. Maybe someone's got better images that they can show us where they can see him on the top tube. But these guys have all been practicing it. I remember the first day it came in, Wafanat was practicing a sort of revised aero position. Uh, but yeah, that's a bit, not a shame, just interesting and more things for us to talk about. The next topic we wanted to hit for Liège, Bastion Liège, was can Tade Pogacar win all five monuments? And I guess he can, obviously he can win all three Grand Tours. Uh, We don't really need to discuss that, but he's won Liège now. It's going to come first or second last year. What's your gut reaction, Benji? So he has won, we know that, obviously. (laughs) Well, (laughs) this one. I think that looking at the other monuments out there, I think Lombardia is one that he can win. Yeah, that okay. seems to be one that is doable. Then we have three left: Roubaix, RVV, and Sanremo. Sanremo is going to be difficult in the sense that it's not easy to predict what will happen in in Sanremo, and he doesn't seem to have the punch to drop people like crazy on on the Poggio, so he'd need to be in a in a reduced group to do so after the Poggio, and then. He's got the kick to beat the likes of Nala Philippe, and we've seen Nala Philippe being in a position of winning Milan Sanremo quite a few times. He he's, was second after uh, Van Aert in that sprint, if I recall yes. correctly, and he ended up and winning again, ahead of uh, 2017. Yes, exactly, and also uh, didn't he win one against uh, Oliver Nelson in second as well the year before? But yeah, yes. he's been in a lot of positions where he could win. So Pogacar can also be in that position, but the difference is that that well, Bogi doesn't have as much of an acceleration as. Philippe has in the uh, Poggio part of things. So that might be more difficult, but I do see it as possible. There's definitely an option for it. Just not going to be easy. He just needs to ride it a lot of times to try, and then it yeah. might happen. When it comes to like RVV each time, can, yeah, I just, can I just jump in on MSR? I think, agree. For each time he can go into the race, if UAE make him their 100% leader with like a 7 to 8% chance of winning, which is that's pretty good. Seven to eight percent chance uh, of winning, and that's like 12, 14 to one. Uh, but the problem is he'll have Wafanat and VDP there, so it's not like when Nibali won, you've got like the sprinters who can't climb or 
Ken Sprint is not climb. But I'm just saying. Are you I attacking Nibali? Yes, I am. But I'm just saying with Wafanat and MVDP at the moment, I don't envision the Nibali scenario happening um, because, as Benji said, if, if Pagacha goes, you'd think that Alaphilippe would be right there with him. Um, so, yeah, it's a game of chance. He's just got to keep throwing the dice for the next 10, 15 years, and hopefully it pays off. But that's the hardest one. Ask Peters again. He was favourite like six years in a row. <laughs> it's damn hard to win <laughs> Milano San Remo. But sorry, Rubey Benji. So, Rubey and, uh, and RVV, I put them in this. Well, they're not really the same, is it? I think that Tour of Flanders is definitely more possible than, than yeah, Rubey in sure. the sense that he's got the climbing abilities to get over it. Look where Nibali came. I think twenty uh, second, twenty third, or so in the year that he tried. Uh, Alaphilippe was looking good as well. Alaphilippe, but Alaphilippe has the benefit of also having the the more punchy side than than Poggi. Well. But I think when it comes to cobbles, I've seen video footage of of Poggi uh, relatively flying over Carrefour de Larbre a few years ago on a training ride. So I believe that he can ride cobbles. We've seen him on the um, on the gravel section where he was not looking amazing. At the end of the Tour de France, that's the one counterpoint. I'm like, oh, I'm not oh, sure. That's but the end of a climb. Yeah, and after that, the end of the Tour de France as well. Physiologically suffering. Yeah, I think that he can win RVV if he builds a season towards it, and if he preps that completely for it. We know that from even, for example, the Tirreno stage that he almost came close to beating Van der Poel. That he has the endurance to win a crazy stage like that, and he proved that well in LBL as well. So that part is secure for me. I think that RVDV is doable. Now, the most difficult one, I think, well, perhaps next to Milano San Remo, will be Paris Roubaix. I think that. Disagree. You think he's doable? I think it's doable, but I, I, think, I think it's going to be mate, harder. He he's a swimmer. He loves wet, cold conditions. How long you has it been a... since it's been rained in Roubaix? <laughs> when it actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, something like 17 years, right? 17, 16 years? Something yeah, else. Yeah, years Octo- to go, so. <laughs> October. We're having it in October. Does I don't know. You live there. Does it rain in October in Roubaix? Uh, probably. It seems to rain most of the time, except on the day of Paris-Roubaix during April um, for the last 15, 16 years. He loves wet conditions. He loves the cold. He just seems to have this... Um, this tank that doesn't that you can just constantly replenish, you know. Whereas MVDP in the cold at Terreno done cooked himself, and he was like, I couldn't push 200 watts at the end. Pagacha could have kept going for another hour, it seemed, you know, another five Ks, he would have won that stage. I know that's got more climbing than Paris Bay, but the point is, it's an endurance race. He seems to have incredible endurance, he's good in bad conditions, his handling is outstanding. Will he ever be the favourite for Roubaix? No, of course not. But I think MSR is so hard, such a lottery, whereas he does actually have certain advantages in Roubaix. Um, and I think they might – he's just a gamer, to use an American term. He just wants to ride every race, He want, even the ones that don't theoretically suit a Grand Tour contender. And I think if he wants to have a good result at Roubaix, this is the year. April Roubaix – I mean, you can fuck yourself up and then your Tour de France is done. If you do a collarbone or even something not that bad, it can affect you. If, if these guys are off the bike for three weeks, it can affect their whole TDF preparation, even though it's months out because they got a peak at the right time, etc. 
Roubaix in October, nothing's after, I don't think. So this would be a great year for him to really have a go at it, but he'd probably be pretty tired. Isn't he doing the welter as well? So, but yeah, you think he's a, ever a chance of going into Roubaix as a top 10 contender? Um, I think if he plans a season towards it, yeah. But I think winning it will be hard, knowing that we've got so much talent on the uh, cobble side of things as well. You know, a Kasper Osgain, for example, this man's not going to uh, stop very soon with trying to win Roubaix now because, well, it's the one he doesn't have or the two. So that's definitely a, a rider I see himself keeping doing that. Mess Pedersen as well. It's one of his main goals. Sinichal wants to uh, win a... Uh, win Roubaix as well. So there's so True. many riders that also are very young that have so many years to come and can definitely point towards that race. And I think that we're going to see that expanded for the uh, next few years as well, that it's going to be hard in the initial years. And it's also hard because then he needs to start making decisions. And Pogacar now is arguably the best Grand Tour rider we have in the world, in my opinion. And you can't that makes it, it that... Exactly, you can't do it all, and you need to plan your season towards what. Why do you think that, for example, Nella Philippe would not do it until last year, going to RVV, because he wanted to win other stuff beforehand, and now he's found a way to combine the classics and the Ardennes, Nella Philippe, and it's not going perfectly either. I know, and yeah. I'd argue he stretched himself a bit too thin. Yeah, as well. Yeah, and um, I think that that's the yeah. question indeed. Will Pogacar? win three Grand Tours, all three Grand Tours in the next three years? Probably. He'll win all three. But um, will he decide it's enough? Have you heard of Remco Evenepoel? Yeah, but that's for after the three years. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with them sharing. Right. <laughs> okay. True, they'll just split them, etc. after Froome wins this year at the Tour. Yeah, I think it's possible Pagancha can win all five monuments, but... I think it's extremely unlikely. Anything's possible, but I think no. Like the scheduling, etc. You know, how's he going to do Lombardy in one year? He's going to want to do the Vuelta. I just, I just don't see it happening. How personally. many and which ones? Uh, I think he wins Lombardia, and that's it. I don't think he wins the other three. I think he wins uh, Lombardia and RVV, and that's it. Hmm. Maybe we'll see. It's RVV's <laughs> tough. He'll have to want to do a different program or maybe just yeah, do what our Philippe's doing. But anyway, that was our men's recap and then discussion about Tade Pagacha winning all five monuments. It's possible, but we don't really see it happening. Let us know what you think in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. But now stay tuned for the women's race recap. Really interesting race that we just watched really early. Great time, these women's races, uh, if you're in Australia. Maybe not so good in America, but it finishes at a civilized time. 140Ks, same last, I would say, 40Ks plus as the men's race. They go from Baston to Liège, but the finale you really need to know about is the Redoute, 2Ks, 9%, 35Ks from the finish. They then have Rolly section, and then they have the Côte de la Rochefoucauld, I think ooh, 13Ks from the finish. Bonsil straight after, then the 11Ks descent flat run into Liège, that you know the full sang sort of descent 2019, and they had last year as well. So favourites, you know the, all the big names, on the Bregan. Omissions, probably just Diagnan, last year's winner, and Grace, year, Grace Brown, who came second. But Benji, 
live coverage started with 47Ks to go. What was the race situation? I think you, Benji's SD Works new DS from the sound of it <laughs> once he tells us what happened. So basically, um, we expected some teams to try and put themselves in a better position by having a pawn in the breakaway to force other teams to pace in the peloton. We saw that in Flash Wallon with the likes of Treg doing so. And now, well, we said that SD Works should do this because they haven't done it too much throughout the season. I think in Stella Bianca they tried as well with Fisher Black and they did it again today. So that was great to see because this basically forces other teams to try and take control in the, in the group behind and have them pace that rider from his D-Works back. And Fisher Black is honestly a really good rider. And the advantage of teams like his D-Works and Trek is that next to their very strong leadership, they also have pretty strong secondaries. And those outsiders, they can do some damage. And if you have a Fisher Black in the breakaway, then you can force Trek to need a three-woman train at the front of the group to try and slowly but surely thin down the gap and catch Fisher Black again, and that's what they tried to do, and that's basically what they did by the foot of Laradud, but it certainly did some damage, and with Trek also missing Ruth Winde here, who was unfortunately a, a close contact before oh, the race yeah. with a COVID, uh, a COVID person, well, um, she was unable to come at the start, so that's one person that they're missing in this potential chase, and True. one pawn that they can't use in the race that had to be uh, taken out, but all in all, very strong move by Fisher Black. Very clever. It brought Trek into spending energy mode, and they unfortunately it's caught what Trek did to them at, before, at uh, Flesh. Yeah, exactly. They just yeah did the same again. But yeah, brought back before Redute. Who who attacked first on Redute? They brought it all back. It was SD Works again, right? Yes, I think we had an attack of pretty much three women at that point. Uh, at the starting point of Redute, we saw that. Uh, Moment Pasia was moving up, and Moment we saw her attack in Fledge Wallon early as well. That didn't really work out, but in this situation, they still had the numerical advantage if she attacked. So she had the option of doing so at the start of Laredut, and she did so. Gavali reacted, and also Alrud for uh, the team of Movistar. Gavali for uh, Evdeji, obviously. And those three women had a bit of a gap, and we saw them hammer it up Laredut from the first section. But we also saw that, well... Momon Pasio is a, a pretty damn strong rider, that is very certain. And she was able to, uh, first of all, drop Cavalli because Cavalli is decent at climbing, but she's not up there with the other two. And Aldud was strong already this Ardennes uh, portion of the season, so she was able to hold on a bit longer with Momon, but eventually that really didn't work out either. But we saw a response once Cavalli was taken out in the second group again, and that was from a teammate, right? Yeah. It- FTJ, I mean, a bit curious, attacking with Cavalli. I'm pretty sure Cavalli should just look at what Mariana Voss does in every single race and try and copy that. She's <laughs> the same style of rider, in my opinion. FTJ attacked with Ludwig, and this is what we said she needs to be doing, attacking early on La Redoute, not waiting for the last climbs because she isn't the best sprinter and she isn't the best climber either, if, you're gonna, if we're going to be honest, on these climbs compared to... AVDB and Van Vleuten and Longa Borghini. She reminds me a lot of Balcomolima, actually, and she <laughs> needs to attack at the right moment. She's good enough to win if the other teams finesse and don't chase. And so it was a really good move from her, fantastic move, actually. Really liked seeing her doing that on Redoute. No one immediately reacted. She goes up the road. I think she was then joined. No, she caught Mulman. 
Mormon joins on with her. Mormon, by the way, like Swift World Champion, right? On yep. a pure Spikila basis, top class. So it's no surprise she's so good uphill. She has been for ages. And then they get to the top of Redoute. The favourites have had a few skirmishes behind, like Longaborghini, Van Leuten, Nivea Doma, but no real big attacks. And it's Brandt for Trek bridging across. So we've got two secondary riders in the group of three ahead and one pure leader with Ludwig on this ridge line above La Redoute. Voss is desperately trying to close that gap, which may be a mistake in hindsight because the group swelled behind, got really big again with no one really taking up the chase and those three riders working together, I think, with oh, about it was over 20Ks to go, I think, about 27Ks to go. They had a 15-second gap. They had 3Ks to the next small climb, the Côte de Forge. Moulin Passio started sitting on and finessing, which uh, I didn't really get it because if the point of her being there was to be a satellite rider, which is why Brand was in that group, then wouldn't you want to make it to Rochefoucauld? ahead so that if AVDB or Van Vleuten bridge, you can be there and be caught just like when Ludwig caught her. Anyway, she was finessing, not pulling on the flat. Brand was pulling like 80%. They didn't close him on that climb, the Fourche. Canyon Shram were doing a lot of the pacing with Shabby, I think, doing a lot of it for Nivea Doma. 20Ks to go, they're closed down before Rochelle Facon. And Chantal Vanderbrook Black is still in the group. She moves to the front for SD Works, who've been on the front foot all day in this race. She's got Van der Breggen on her wheel, Vollering in the group, Nee Fisher Black in the group. They basically got the whole team in the group. And Rochelle Faucon starts the hardest climb in this race. I think, what, 1.9Ks, 1.2Ks, 11%. I think it says on my profile. Pretty steep and nasty, just like the murder. Uh, murder we van der Breggen starts pace, pacing the minute they get there at a steady pace no attack she doesn't even look behind her pacing and it's clear the strategy for sd works is we are not going to have a, re- a repeat of amstel gold race we are going to drop mariana voss and we don't care if Longaborghini, van vleuten and nivea doma are in this group as long as we have demi following so already that was a big sign that SD Works were riding for Demi, Demi Vollering. Van der Breggen not attacking, basically pacing for herself. Voss is holding on, holding on, holding on. 150 metres to go. She just starts dropping. Ludwig, <laughs> she drops herself, basically. Benji, do you think she could have held on to G1 if she rode more conservatively? I think so, because uh, we saw her make a bit of a move on the left side of the road there on that. And that's not the kind of move you do when you're relatively near the limit. And... I think it was a bit of a, an all or nothing move eventually because yeah. that immediately dropped her back to the back of the group and she started suffering as much as Mariana Voz was doing in the last 150 meters. And they both cracked with that tiny margin to the top. But the thing is, this is not done when you reach the top of Rochefoucauld. You've got a tiny descent and then we go back onto a bit of a false flat section before we have a, a hill once again. And the problem is, if you drop already here, then you're likely to drop just after. and we kind of expected that to happen then. I did, at least. And we come to the top of Rochefoucauld. We have the gap on Mariana Voss. Not that large. 15 seconds, 10 seconds, I think. It wasn't large. And this max. is where SD Works started to make a tiny mistake, I think. Because we saw that Moment Passio was on a good five seconds behind that group at the front. And then 
but Alan falls another 10 seconds behind that, roughly. Let's say that's the gaps, roughly. This means that, well, SD works at the front, needs to make the decision. Either we keep on pacing like this, or we wait the five seconds that Momampasio needs to come back to this group, and then we start pacing. And at the start, they didn't make that decision, but then they did. And they waited for Momampasio. Volring stopped pacing. Moman came to the back of the group, and I expected her to move forward, move to the front of the group, and just keep on pedaling because she needed to, because Mariana Voss is coming behind. She's coming back, and they didn't. Moman Basso yeah. just stayed at the back, and I don't they get it. They lifted up the Nuvia Doma. I don't Doma. get it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. That was, I thought, I thought they'd almost stuffed the race because it was perfection on uh, Rochelle Faucon from Vanderbregen. They got exactly what they wanted. And then Volering started pacing. And I think I think Vanderbregen was like, Demi, why are you pacing? <laughs> like, we, just, <laughs> we want you in the sprint. Anyway, all's well that ends well. As Benji said, there's no time to recover. Voss gets back with Ludwig. But by the time they get back, they're just getting onto this next climb, the ball cell, 1.2 Ks at 6.3%. It's got steep sections too. It's narrow. And then they've got a 10K descent slash flat run into the finish. And Van Vleuten attacks on that ball cell climb. She's mo- well. Van der Bregen was pacing. Then Van Vleuten tried to attack. The fact that Van Vleuten couldn't get any purchase uh, probably meant that that pace from Van der Bregen was pretty high. And it drops everybody else pretty much. It's just those two. Van der Bregen sits on. Van Vleuten stops her action because of Van der Bregen's presence, and it allows Vollering, Nuviadoma, and Logo Borghini to catch back up. Vos gone. Utrup Ludwig gone and Mulman gone, not helping those two, Voss and Ludwig, obviously. And you've got to remember, Voss has gone pretty deep into the well now for the last 20 minutes almost to catch back up. And now Van der Bregen, I mean, this is, she just gets on the front now with this group and puts it into fifth gear and doesn't <laughs> take it off, you know, 300, 350 watts, I think, for the next 10 kilometers, Benji. She, they didn't care about Longobordgini, Van Vleuten, and Nuvia Doma in this group. They got Vollering there. We saw an Amstel Gold race. I'll show you the finish in the – I've shown you in the YouTube video and in the pod. Vollering hit the line super hard. She's clearly the second-best sprinter out of this group of G1 and G2 after Voss, and they've dropped Voss, so they're not concerned by the others. So – they bring that gap out of Underbregen pacing to 30 seconds. Voss is gone. We know it's going to be from the front group. The question is, will Van Vleuten, Nuviadoma, and Longobord Guinea, what will they do? You can't go to the line with Vollering, but do you have any choice? Based on Amstel Gold Race, I would have thought at least Longobord Guinea would have attacked because she doesn't trust her sprint. But anyway, Van der Bregen paces, headwind. They turn right into the final kilometre from this group of five in order Got Van der Breggen on the front, Nuviodoma second wheel, not in a good spot. Van Vleuten third wheel, Vollering fourth wheel, Longobordini's moved back to be fifth wheel. Van der Breggen tr- increases the pace, perfect lead out, and drops. It's actually better when you've got Vollering fourth wheel to drop the other riders off a little bit early, and that's what happened into this headwind. You've got Van Vleuten start a sprint early on the right-hand side around uh, Nuviodoma, but... Vollering's right on her wheel, gets the slipstream and begins her sprint to the middle and wins by over a bike length ahead of Van Vleuten's second who was able to hold it and Longobordini third, beating Nuvia Doma in the sprint, Van der Breggen fifth, then Voss winning the reduced bunch behind. 
what do you make of that finale, Benji? Picture perfect tactics, just about almost in the last 30Ks by <laughs> SD Works. Yes, almost. But we can't look at that too much because uh, they basically did what we uh, thought they would or hoped they would do to try and take this race home with uh, Demi Vollering. We said at the start of the season that Demi was moving up in the rankings, coming from Park Hotel, doing really well at these Ardennes last year. And, well, she stepped up again this year. And she's not at the level yet that she's going to dominate it yet because we said she could replace the likes of Van der Breggen or Van Vleuten in, in the ranks in the future. I don't feel like we're at that level yet, but she's definitely nearing it. And I feel like on the climbs itself, she sometimes does look that she has trouble hanging on to for example, a move by Van Vleuten on the uh, well on the uh, letter section just after Dorschefokor, where that attack was coming. That's where I was well, like, she got dropped on Bonsel. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. That that's just the point where I'm like, ooh, this needs to be a tiny bit better if you want to dominate these races in the future. But she's already at such a level where she has the advantage of having a sprint, so she doesn't necessarily need to drop all the others in the process. She just needs to drop Voss, and they did that today. And while they made that tiny mistake in that descent portion that allowed Voss to come back. Perhaps they knew that the section afterward was tough enough, but then again, it was Van Vleuten who actually formally dropped Marano Voss afterwards to a point where she could not come back. I think that it was a good race. I really enjoyed it, and I'm really happy to see that Demi Vollering is finally getting that deserved victory I was hoping for the entire season so far, and uh, it came just when uh, when we hoped it would on the... Uh, on paper, most important classic, Ardennes classic at least. Well, the thing is, I mean, it's not like Anna van der Breggen was like, oh, wouldn't it be great if I just give someone else on my team a victory? This was the best way for SG Works yeah. to win this race. The sprint of Vollering without Voss being in the group is the trump card because Van Vluyen and Anna van der Breggen, they kind of neutralize each other or nerf each other, or cancel each other out, particularly when uh, Van der Breggen, apart from Murdoch, I know that not been as like otherworldly dominant this year, just riding away from everybody, kind of the same with Van Vleuten, too, apart from Flanders, obviously, uh, not doing it every race. So with those two marking each other, well, I've got the teammate who's got the trump card sprint, and so perfect from Van der Breggen. Um, she's going to make a great DS and tactician next year at SD Works. Can't wait to see her make that transition. Um, so you think, Benji, going back to the other te- riders that came, didn't win, Longo Borghini, New Viadoma, and Van Vleuten, was there anything they could do in the fa- final 5Ks? There's no real pinches. It's all flat, bit of a headwind. I don't really think there is because... If Underbreggen's going to come fifth in the group of five, you're basically losing out your chance of a podium of a monument if you attack because you'll just get chased down. Yeah, you're right. I think that in the latter portion, we saw Longo Borghini make one uh, split decision mistake in the last portion where she decided to take over from Underbreggen, who was pacing in the in the group in the last five kilometers. was like, okay, you should be at the back right now, prepping your attack or sprint, whatever you're going to go for, but you should not be taking over from an SD-Works rider who is riding for following. I didn't get that moment. She quickly realized that that wasn't a good idea and went to the back again. But that was a tiny thing. I was like, okay. But um, when it comes to Van Vleuten, I'm curious. In general, she usually goes for multiple attacks, and now she went for that one attack after the top of Oshofakon and Boncel, and 
I think perhaps the race would have been a slight bit different if she went for Laredut already, if she tried to demolish the numerical advantage of the others there already. Because let's say that she goes on the move there, she goes early on Laredut and she makes that move, and she does it again on Narachofagon, but perhaps Boncel. Would you still have Volering or would she have completely dropped on Boncel? Because now it was relatively close to uh, to dropping there. So You're I don't right. know, perhaps Von Vleuten could be doing something more, but that's a hindsight thing. I would never have said in the race, I should attack her, even though I like said it in the preview, but still, uh, I think that that's the one thing I'm like, perhaps that could go different, but it's not, I, I, I won't classify it as a mistake. I'll classify it as perhaps, yeah. That could have gone better. No, you're right. Honing in on that, what Benji's talking about is Boncel, all the other riders apart from Van der Breggen are cooked. Van Vleuten attacks and she stops her action after ABDB shuts her down and basically allows Vollering to come back into the group. Perhaps, you know... What does she do then, Benji? If she keeps it going, does ABDB sit on? I think that was her plan. So it was tough for Van Vleuten. That's why SD Works team strength today was perfect. Uh, Trek, definitely missing Ruth Winder, as we said at the top of the show. She's been so strong in the Ardennes, Wonderbrand's pale, and Amstel was really, really good as well as Flesh. So tough for them without her, as well as Diagnan, Elisa Longaborghini. She should be pretty happy, I think, with podium spot in Liège actually but that was our women's uh, Liège best on Liège recap really enjoyable race I'll have my highlight video up hopefully today if I can get to it quickly there's a gap now before (laughs) the men's race but otherwise give the video a like down below if you watched it give us a rating on podcast players if you haven't already if that's where you listen and what's next Benji Romandy coming up I think yes Romandy coming up and it's basically a preparation race for uh, the Giro (laughs) And the Giro is the race I look forward to most every season because it's my favorite Grand Tour and it's arguably one of my three favorite races in the season. LBL wasn't that, but I still very much enjoyed the Remens race. I don't know why. We should do a, a ranking the monuments video at some point because yeah, probably people might be surprised with LBL being at the bottom of mine. <laughs> LBL, MSR. I don't oh like Tour God. of Flanders. Tour of Flanders at the bottom. All right. With Benji triggered, that's where we'll leave it today, and we'll see you with Romandy uh, next week. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 